Now, students just kind of tend to disappear, and it's kind of normal. Not great, but kind of normal. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Welcome to another episode of Keep It Fictional. It is the end of August. Some of you might be lamenting the end of summer, not Sadie, clearly. The end of a nice relaxing vacation. And I am dreaming about the cold weather that is coming. The crunchy fall leaves, the colors, the bus rides without that stifling heat. And of course, more new books. This is our last most anticipated books of the year episode of 2023. We usually do about three of these in a year where we talk about books that we are looking forward to reading in the next four months and in upcoming season. There I asked my book friends, and Al, you're spared from this one, how many of their previous 2023 anticipated reads have they enjoyed so far? Have the books proved to warrant and justify your initial excitement? Or have they been disappointing? I did really good this year because I made a concerted effort after making fun of Liz one year that I really wanted to like commit to reading these books. I think one of them... I'm just looking over at my shelf was the the mystery, the Japanese mystery series that I love, The Devil's Flute. And it was spectacular. I loved it so much. Days at the Murasaki bookstore was okay. And one of them's still waiting on my shelf, but it's a floppy book and I'm just not feeling floppy books right now. But most of them have kind of been, I feel like it's been a little bit middling, but I'm excited for fall because that's usually when all like the big front runner big books come out. What's a floppy book? It's like a trade paperback, but it's like like sometimes when the paper isn't like stiff enough and it's like printed on like weaker paper that when you read it, it just kind of like, Ugh. so I don't, I don't like them as much. I have to be in the right mood to like hold that. You read her. Sorry. Sadie, how about you? So I only have to do one of these because I, the first one I don't think I was here for because it would have been January too. I am proud to say I have read none of them. But I have read one off of Fiona's most anticipated. So I think that has to count for at least a little bit of something. Which one? Which one did you read from Fiona's list? It was the one that I read for Fiona's last episode, The uh, Vampires of El Norte. Yes, it was good. I liked it. I liked it, but it was not on my list. No, that's okay. That's okay. What about you, Virginia? Well, I, I usually, not this time, really, but I usually read them before, right? Like, I don't want to attach my name to anything that I don't, haven't read yet. <laughs> I try to read them beforehand. So, yes, I can say I read all of them and they have all been good because I wouldn't have talked about them. So, yeah. But this time, I think I've only read half of them. So, we'll see how it goes. All right. There are another 20 to go. So we will see. We will see how we do in the, the end of the year. We will find out. Like Corinne said, a lot of big books are coming out. Maybe these will end up on our top five list. Perhaps. We will see if we read them. So why don't we start with Al today? Because this is your first most anticipated episode. I would love to find out what it is that you are looking forward to reading. All right. So I have gone with a couple series that I 
I'm really excited about, a couple authors I'm really excited about. So this is going to be really interesting. For the first one, I kind of have squished two books into one, Sleep No More and The Innocent Sleep by Seanan McGuire. These are two books that cover the same period of time told from two different characters' perspectives. So I decided to squish them together into one entry. These are the 17th and 18th books in the October Day series by Seanan McGuire. And this is one of my favorite urban fantasy series out there. We follow October Day, also known as Toby, who is a private investigator who lives in San Francisco, but she is also a changeling. She is part fae, part human, and has to navigate both the human world and the fae world. And in these books, Shauna McGuire is usually very nice and does not leave us on a cliffhanger. But at the end of the last book, she left us on a heck of a cliffhanger. So October's world has been thrown into chaos, but she doesn't know it because Titania, Queen of the Fairies, is back. And she's cast an illusion over as big an area as she can that is making fairy into the image that she thinks it should be. So October isn't her usual kick-butt, take-names, knight-errant of the fairy court. Instead, she's a demure serving girl in her mother's home, and she thinks that this is all she is useful for. She thinks this is what her life should be, and she doesn't have any memory of any of the adventures that we followed her on for the first several books in the series. So these books, the first one, Sleep No More, is from October's perspective, and we see her living in this illusion, finding a way out. And I think it'll be really interesting to see an October who isn't the usual October that we're used to seeing, that we're going to see her without her memories. And well, how does this affect her? How does this affect the people around her? Because we've had 16 books to get to know all of the characters in this world. And how has Titania's illusion affected them as well? And then the second book, The Innocent Sleep, is the same period of time, but from Tybalt's perspective. Tybalt, who is a catchy or a fairy cat. He has both a human form and a cat form. Spoilers, as of very recently, he is October's husband, and they are split apart by this illusion. And because Titania doesn't want animal shifters in her perfect fairy, he is not in it. So he is coming from outside of the illusion, trying to break in, and also hoping that October will be breaking herself out. So we're going to be seeing this same period of time from both of those perspectives. I'm really excited to see what Shannon will do with these characters and with this premise. Yeah, excited to see what happens going forward. So next, I'm going to call on Sadie. All right. So I am going to start off with, similar to Al, a series that I have engaged with for quite a while. And this is sort of a new follow-up book uh, to that series. And Al, it's actually one that that you fought, first talked about, uh, the original series, which is uh, V.E. Schwab's, it's called the Shades of Magic series. And uh, she has a new book coming out called The Fragile Threads of Power. And this takes place in the same world as the Shades of Magic series, except seven years later. So just kind of a bit of a 
recount about what the series is. It takes place in a world where there are four different worlds and they're all connected by four different Londons. You have Red London, White London, Grey London, and Black London. And it follows Kel, who is one of the only people who is alive who can travel in between all of the different Londons. Um, he's known as an Antari. Um, and so it kind of follows his story as he travels back and forth in between the Londons and realizes that there's going on in between the Londons than he originally thought that impacts him and his family and all of those fun adventure things that happen. And so this is a new series kind of connected to that, uh, The Fragile Threads of Power, which takes place seven, plates, seven years after our final book uh, ended. And it doesn't follow Kel this time. It follows a new Antari named Kosika. And Kosika has appeared in White London, and she has taken over the throne. And uh, she's a very young queen, and she's decided that she's going to kind of rule her kingdom with blood. And that's the blood of her city. That's the blood of herself. And she kind of has this very strong religious beliefs. And these beliefs have uh, the potential to kind of take down her city and take down White London and the entire world. And then um, it also follows back in Red London, which is where Kel lived, the new king, King Rymeresh, and he is dealing with a new rebellion that's going on that is determined to kind of correct this balance of power that they're a little bit concerned about. And so it kind of follows these familiar characters and introduces new characters in this same world. So I'm really excited to dive back into the world. I haven't gone into the world for quite a while, and I, I really enjoyed the first three books. And so, yeah, I'm really, really excited to kind of see where uh, she takes the story next. I really, really like V.E. Schwab or Victoria Schwab. As an author, I've read her uh, junior fiction as well as her adult stuff, and I, I really, really like all of the stuff that she writes. So I'm excited to kind of see see where she takes the story and and where she kind of takes this this world next. Um, this one comes out at the end of September, September 26th. Is this one? So I have to wait a little bit, but that's okay because I have many books to read before that. Maybe I'll read some from my. May to August anticipated list. We will see. Um, all right. So that is uh, Fragile Threads of Power by V.E. Schwab. Let's go over to Kareen. What is your first most anticipated book, Kareen? All right. I'm going to like pull a bit of a switcheroo on this one. I feel like both of you have brought like two powerhouse author, like fantasy authors, Shonda McGuire and V.E. Schwab, both great, both also looking forward to those books. <laughs> I'm looking forward to a book of poetry, you know, a little bold volume of poetry. So, yeah, I was flipping through kind of all the big releases that are happening in September of authors that I really enjoy trying to find, you know, one to talk about. And I came across the fact that uh, Joy Kagawa is coming out with a kind of like collection of poetry, both poetry that has been previously published and new things and kind of like an anthology. And if you are unaware of who Joy Kagawa is, she is a national treasure. She is uh, Japanese-Canadian and wrote kind of uh, the, the first book kind of exploring the mass incarceration of Japanese people during World War II in a book called Obasan, which was required reading at my high school and precipitated my first like ugly crying jag in the middle of my high school. So that was great. And I love that. But I love a good cathartic cry. And she's continued to write. She is local to Vancouver. You can actually go and visit her house. They have a lot of like live-in artists and a lot of poetry there. And 
she's written like subsequent books after she wrote the sequel to Obasan. Um, she also wrote a biography, Gently to Nagasaki, which precipitated an, another ugly crying jag in 2016. I think she is a marvelous writer. I think that she kind of puts emotions and her experience in, in such surprising, sparse ways that you you like you get it right in the heart. It's like a dagger right in the heart, through the eyeballs, straight to the heart. So this is from the Lost and Found Department, New and Selected Poems by Joy Kagawa. But I'm actually really looking forward to that. I don't mind poetry. And I feel like because Fiona is no longer with us, someone has to kind of like take up this standard and I'm I'm willing to take that baton. And so my my number five pick is the new Joy Kagawa collection, Oh Poetry. All right. That leaves us with Virginia. Virginia, what is your your number five coming in at five? Well my number five is actually my probably my number one, the favorite one that I have read so far. It is probably the most Virginia book of the bunch. And I also have to just say, first of all, again, thank you for all the publishers for making these books available to us for preview ahead of time. My first pick is a new to me author. This person is from Mexico, has been writing for more than 30 years, but unfortunately for us readers in English, we have not had the opportunity to read him yet because nothing has been translated. Until now, there is a collection of short story, probably some of his best work, 14 selected stories coming out. And this collection is The Secret Life of Insects and Other Stories by Bernardo Esquinka. And this got on my radar because it is introduced by none other than Mariana Enriquez, which, you know, I totally respect, especially when it comes to short story. I totally respect what she thinks of it. And so she's introducing it. This must be a great collection. And it is. I was hooked by the very first line of the very first story on this collection. Two things. One, today I'm going to talk to my wife for the first time in two years. And two, my wife is dead. So yeah, all the stories are just right up my alley. The first story is about a forensic etymologist, so someone who studies the bugs that live in the corpses so that you can find out clues about like how they die and when they die and all that stuff. And that's what he does. But when he got a call one day saying that his wife was dead and they found her body, he wants nothing to do with it. He didn't want to do the, the examination himself because he distinctly remember the night when they said that she died. She came home and she crawled into bed and she was there sleeping. So he just couldn't quite figure out why they would say that she died that night. But later on, when she found out that there might be some error in the report and the examination that was done on her body, she just has to find out. He has to find out what actually happened to his wife. This collection has all the classic horror elements and they are done masterfully. We have one about a driver who picked up a hitchhiker who starts talking about the story about him going spelunking in a cave but then something happened and then you find out what's in the hitchhiker's backpack. There's a story about a woman going to a witch doctor, trying to get the man that 
she has a crush on to fall in love with her and be with her forever. But yet she didn't do the whole ritual correctly according to what the witch doctor tells her. So, you know, she has to deal with the consequences of that. There are four classmates who witness a demonic possession and now like years and years later they're still living with what they saw that day there's a story about a old rich man who decided to sell this struggling writer a house one of his apartments you know he's so rich he has so many of them he doesn't care about money but he wanted to help this struggling writer out and he thinks that the struggling writer would appreciate his house he looks like someone who would take care of things and, and appreciate older houses so he he said oh yeah i'm gonna offer you the house but on one condition that you have to let me come visit you every now and then and the writer thought oh yeah sure you know like he probably has sentimental value about the house so yeah sure you can come visit me but little did he know what he actually agreed with there's like creepy baby chairs that makes weird music and no horror collection can be complete without a uh, story about creepy dolls and um, this is a collector of creepy dolls who took pride in his collection you know he goes around the world and he specializes in curse dolls. He is especially interested in collecting ones that have a story about the doll being possessed and doing creepy things. And he he loves them. He doesn't believe in it. Until one day, a doll show up in his mail. A doll that he did not ask for. And someone has sent him a doll. And this doll looks really familiar somehow. Reading Bernardo Esquinta's story, they, they're like you're on a roller coaster ride. I love roller coasters. And the best part of a roller coaster ride is the ascent. When you are climbing up, when you're sitting there waiting for that coaster to get all the way up to the top, when you're building that momentum and you get higher and higher until you reach that highest point where for a moment you are like stuck, you're not moving. And if you're me, you'll be in the first car because you want to be able to see everything. So you can see where the coaster is going to go and where it's going to drop. And it's that moment where you are hanging there suspended at the highest point. That's how I feel reading these stories because Bernardo Esquinca knows how to end a story. He always ends it at that perfect moment when Everything is just about to explode. And that is a master storyteller at work. I am so impressed with the way he does these stories. If you are a short story fan, if you are a fan of horror, if you are a fan of weird fiction, I think this will be a collection that you need to check out. And as one of the characters in the book said, Every storyteller should make his audience uncomfortable. Otherwise, he runs the risk of leaving them indifferent. So that is this type of story in this collection. Again, this is The Secret Life of Insects by Bernardo Esquinca. And it is published by Velencourt coming out on October 3rd. And you need to check this out. All right. So that is our first round, I think. Everyone talks about something that is quite in their wheelhouse, even Corrine, because I know you have talked about liking poetry and you're starting to read more of them. So that's great. I guess we'll go into our second round. Let's start with Sadie this time. 
Okay, my second book is again, it's by an author that I have read, but I've only read one of her books um, very recently. And I listened to the audiobook of it as part of, I'm not going to remember what the organization is, but they gave away free audiobooks over the summer. And so I got it through that. And um, every week they kind of released another couple audiobooks for, for you to access. And so this is Kylie Lee Baker. And the book that I have read of hers is the Keeper of the Night series, which I'm not going to talk about too much because I might want to save it for another episode down the road. But uh, just a very brief overview, it uh, kind of follows a, a reaper from England as she goes to discover the Japanese side of her heritage learns more about that side of her family. And so Kylie Lee Baker does feed a lot uh, from her heritage, which is Japanese, Chinese, and Irish. And so kind of all of the stories that she writes kind of combine those different backgrounds. And so this book, it follows the Chinese heritage that uh, Kylie Lee Baker has, and it follows Zilan. And Zilan is alchemist in training, and she dreams of being a royal alchemist one day. Being a royal alchemist would mean that she can provide food for her family and she can provide money for her family by creating kind of alchemical gems and alchemical gold and potions that the rich will, will take to make them young forever and that sort of thing. But she's not a royal alchemist yet. She is just a alchemist living in a small impoverished village in southern China. And she is able to provide for her family, but the way that she provides for her family is not the way that she would like to. She does use her alchemy, but she uses it to resurrect the dead because she has a gift where she can use her alchemy to bring back the dead. And so she does this for a price. But now Zelan has the opportunity to compete to be a royal alchemist. And so she ventures to the capital to compete against all of the best alchemists in the country in tasks that she has no idea what they will be, but she knows that they will be tough. She knows that she might struggle to survive these tests, but if she does, and if she passes these exams, she has the opportunity to finally become a royal alchemist and to finally be able to provide for her family. So this is The Scarlet Alchemist by Kylie Lee Baker. Like I said, I'm really excited to read this one because I, I loved Keeper of the Night. It was a very dark story, which I don't usually read and I don't usually like. So I'm I'm curious to kind of see if if the tone of um, this book is kind of a similar, darker theme. It has really kind of strong protagonists, which I, I think that this one kind of sets up to as well, um, to have a really strong uh, protagonist. Once Elan gets to the capital city, she learns that her skill of resurrecting the dead is also known. And so people are start to seek her out, including the crown prince who starts to seek her out to help him resurrect the dead and kind of figure out an assassination plot that is uh, brewing against him. So yes, yeah, so I'm really excited to kind of delve into the world of Southern China. Kylie Lee Baker does write historical uh, kind of fantasy. So I'm not sure the exact time period that this one's going to take place, but I, I have not read a lot about Southern China. So I'm excited to to kind of read more about that that part of the world and and potentially kind of see what time period it uh, it takes place in and kind of delve into that and and just kind of learn more more about it. So yeah, so that's The Scarlet Alchemist and that is by Kylie Lee Baker. 
young adult historical fantasy. I'm very much in my wheelhouse. But yeah, one that I'm really, really excited about. Um, it's coming out, uh, same as Virginia, is October 3rd is when this one is uh, will be coming out. So yeah, so that, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And why don't we go over to Kareen? What is your second choice, Kareen? Well, since I have to let go of summer, apparently, um, and embrace spooky season, my number four pick is actually a horror book. And it's a horror book that is a spiritual successor or authorized spiritual successor to a Shirley Jackson book. Shirley Jackson perhaps one of the greatest horror writers of all time. You probably had to read the lottery in high school. I also enjoy her letter chastising someone for like stirring the pot with her. And I believe it was, if you don't want my peaches, don't shake my tree, which is maybe one of the greatest little witty epigraphs of all time. So this is kind of a sequel to The House on the Hill, which was made into a truly terrible movie in the 90s, which this is quite horrible and it still gives me like nightmares to this day. For some reason, outside of my control, I saw that movie 10 times in one year. Three of those in theater. I did not enjoy it the first time and did not enjoy it the subsequent times either. However, I had to watch it so many times. So many times. So when I heard that there was going to be a sequel for it, I was like, well, can't be worse than that movie. So Elizabeth Hand, who is a three-time Shirley Jackson World Fantasy and Nebula Award winner, has actually been authorized by the Shirley Jackson estate to return to the world of The Haunting on Hill House or Haunting of Hill House. My handwriting becomes very strange at this point, probably because I was having flashbacks of that movie. So stupid. So if you remember that story or if you had to watch the movie 10 times in one year, it's a house. It's haunted. The people in it are too stupid to realize that. And you're like, no, we should definitely stay here and just kind of wait it out until we're killed off one by one. And so I think that's what's going to happen here. So Holly is our protagonist. Uh, she is a struggling playwright, which is adorable. And she has been given a grant to develop her new play, which is called The Witch of Edmonton. Now, I lived in Edmonton for a long time. I went to university there. So this title is hilarious to me and honestly, pretty much why I'm choosing this book. The Witch of Edmonton is very funny. Anyways, I don't think it's that kind of play. So she is having uh, like struggling with writer's block. She feels like she just needs like the time and the space to like really hone her vision for this theatrical masterpiece. And so while she's on vacation and she's wandering around the neighborhood, she sees, oh, this spooky gothic mansion called Hill House. It's creepy. It's old and definitely the right place for me to get my inspiration from. And so she hauls her girlfriend, Nisa, and a troupe of actors to come to this house and rehearse this play and workshop it. And lo and behold, weird things start happening. According to the blurb, there are strange creatures. Honestly, again, once you saw your first strange creature like creeping around the house, wouldn't you be like, okay, I'm going to go get an Airbnb in like the next neighborhood over and never come back. On the other hand, also being trapped in a house with a bunch of actors, sorry, Sadie, also sounds like a nightmare. There are disturbing sounds. Come on. <laughs> come on. And time shifts. 
at the first point where you start slipping through time, would you not leave? Would you not go? Would you not say, you know what? The, the, we're, we're not, this is not worth the $5 an hour we're being paid for this. But anyways, something has been waiting in this house. Something has been waiting for them. And it's probably going to go really bad and be a commentary about society. But I, I'm there for that. I'm there for that. So this is, again, the kind of like modern up-to-date sequel of a Shirley Jackson, whom I, I love. And it is A Haunting on the Hill by Elizabeth Hand. It's got like a great cover. It looks spooky. And people are going to be picked off one by one, which um, is pretty much all I can ask for. All right. Speaking of horror, let's go over to Virginia. Well, you're assuming that they get to leave. Well, okay. Once you, once you see the first strange creature and hear like the... Urgh, I'd be like... Yeah, I walk out the front door because usually you get one warning. But you can't. I mean, you probably can't. No, 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 no. You get one warning. It's for the art. Mm-hmm. You stay for the art, for your craft. And this is why the actors die first. They they probably just think, oh, this is very method of the playwright. They want to like make us feel the terror of, again, the Witch of Edmonton. Which is great. <laughs> I love that. And they knew that they they died for their art. And you know what? They're okay with that. That's what I was taught in contemporary art school. Is it sad that I think that The Witch of Winnipeg would be a better title just because it's got alliteration? It's got like the assonance to it. Yeah. Which of, which of Winnipeg would be much better? I'm sure Edmonton is like some spooky. But Edmonton is much more funnier. Come on. Edmonton this is true. Come on. is funnier. I mean, oh, sweet. Or, or Deadminton. Deadminton actually would have been a better title, The Witch of Deadminton. Nah, that's too obvious. Yeah, fine. Well, fine. It, it's just like an, an in-joke to those of us who lived in Edmonton. I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with Edmonton, Alberta. <laughs> All right. Okay. So um, since you have taken horror, I guess I will go and do something else then. So this is probably the fun, funny adventure story for the season for me. You know, actually, I, I think I might have another one later, but I, I don't do normal people fun. You know that. I find for sometimes humor very often, very easily becomes annoying to me. So, but I think this one just does it just right. This is the Jin Bot of Shanty Port, and it is by Samit Basu, a science fiction writer from India. And this is built as Aladdin meets Murderbot. It was a lot of fun. So Shantyport is kind of a dying, dead-end kind of town, speaking of Edmonton. And uh, people kind of come to make fun of it, you know, especially if you're a Calgary fan. Anyway, um, so this place is rumored to get flooded soon. So many people, if you have means and money to do it, are trying to get out of the city. Not Lena, though, because this is her city. These are her people. And she will never want to leave her home. Not that she can anyway, because her whole family is under house arrest. Her father was accused of being a traitor, and allegedly he joined the a revolt against the Tiger Clan, which is who's in charge right now, and they fell and he has disappeared. And now her and her mother Sora, her brother Badu, they are all under surveillance 24-7, even after all these years after his disappearance, they are still watching them. So there's bots, there's drones everywhere around them, recording all the conversation and watching where they are coming and going. But that's okay with Lena because she doesn't want to leave anyway. She will do everything she can to help her city survive. Her brother Badu, on the other hand, 
dreams of leaving the city because he wants to be a space hero. He wants to be a galactic traveler, just like all those TV shows he watches. As he said, adventure, treasure, immortal handsomeness, and all the pew-pews. Don't get me wrong, Badu loves his family. Maybe he's programmed to do so, but doesn't matter. Badu is a bot. He is shaped like a monkey, and he communicates with talking, but also with his eye emojis. And he is maybe programmed to love his family. He's not really sure, but he does. He does love them, even though sometimes they take him for granted. He feels a little bit like an errand boy sometimes. And not only that, what bugs him the most is that they often don't share everything with him because yeah he gets it if he gets captured if he gets taken it's a lot easier to get information out of him because he is a bot so he gets it but still it hurts because they're supposed to be family lena always sent him out for errands but she will never tell him why why is he looking for whatever it is that she tell him to look for the latest thing that he found was a box. And this box got Lena really excited, even though it is an empty box, because Lena believes that this box used to hold a ring, the ring that she is looking for. Why she's looking for that, Badu wants to know, but she won't tell him. In a in addition to this box, which Lena thinks that will give her some clues as to where the ring is located, in addition to the box, Badu found something else. A sentient, off-world, alien technology. Another kind of bot, but it's technology that they have never seen before. It is way more advanced, way more sophisticated than anything that they have on Shantyport. And not only can this particular technology, can it makes himself invisible to anybody, he can also turn off all the surveillance. He could tap into any system and mess with it. And they decide to call this bot Moku. And Moku doesn't really know what he was before. He got woken up again. He doesn't really quite know why he's there. He thinks he is what they call a story bot, which is somebody who goes out and records other people's like live stories and tell stories about it. But he's not quite sure. What he knows, though, is that he's not supposed to have any feelings because he is a bot, but he does. This is a funny science fiction, fast-paced, action-packed adventure story, but it also has some deeper discussions about colonialism and gentrification and also like how to run a country. What is the best way to run a country? And of course, being a Aladdin-related retelling, what would you do if you have three wishes? And are you strong enough to bear the consequences of what you wish for? 
What I love about the book, of course, is the found family aspect of the book. Badu is definitely the star here, is and so is Moku. Like they are so much fun to be with, but it's also the tiny little details that the author puts in. At one point, we met Sora, the mother. And she started talking about her life, and you know, start explaining some of the stuff she like. But do finally, and and she keep referring to these fables that she used to tell Lena when she was small, and she'd be like, "Oh yeah, this and this happened." You know, just like those fables that I used to read you, like the tale of the elephant and the studious tapeworm, or like things like that. And I'm just like, please, Samit Badu, if you are like listening, please, can you write those stories? Because I would love to hear the tale of the elephant and the studious tapeworm. It's those Little details that he put in that adds so much flavor to the story, and that makes it so much fun. So the fun science fiction. If you love fun family, if you love kind of adventure story, um, but also with a lot of heart and some you know deeper discussions, I think you will also enjoy this. So this is coming out October third from one of my favorite publisher, Tor.com. Um, but it is not a novella; it's a novel this time. So this is the Gin Bot of Shanty Port, and it is by Samit Basu. All right, let's go to L. All right, so you mentioned something that is related to my book. You mentioned Murderbot, and I am very excited for the next book in the Murderbot series, System Collapse by Martha Wells. So Murderbot is a sec unit, which means that it is part human, part bot. It doesn't like the human parts; they are squishy and unfortunate. It prefers its bot parts, but it has deactivated the part of it that makes it work for the corporations without question. And Murderbot is snarky. Murderbot is fun. And Murderbot does not want all of these stupid humans to tell it what to do. But unfortunately, Murderbot has developed a bit of a conscience and a bit of a relationship with these humans and has decided to protect them. So in this newest one, we're following the events of Network Effect, which was the last Murderbot novel. The Barish Estranza Corporation has sent rescue ships to a newly colonized planet that's in peril, and as well as additional sec units. But if there's an ethical corporation out there, Murderbot has yet to find it. So if we are looking at this planet in peril and the corporation can't take the planet, they're happy to take the people on it as potential workers. So Murderbot is wanting to come with Arts Crew and the Humans from Preservation. They're doing everything they can to protect the colonists. But Barish Estranza's got sec units that are here to stop anyone from getting in their way. And Murderbot isn't running at uh, normal operational parameters. So something is wrong with Murderbot. So Murderbot is going to have to figure out a way to fix itself and quickly to be able to save the colonists from Barish Stranza. So this is just going to be a fun sci-fi romp with its own critiques of capitalism and colonialism in there. I'm very excited for it. The Murderbot series is one of my favorite recent sci-fi series. It's got such a wonderful voice. It's so much fun, this series. And so I'm really excited to dive back into Murderbot's world and see what is going on. I think there are a few patients who would be very, very happy to 
they always come in and look for Murderbot. We realize because they love Murderbot so much. So that is great. All right. Um, so those are eight books. And uh, let's do round three. Shall we go back? Let's go back to L just for fun. All right. So this next book is a standalone. So for once, I'm not bringing a book in a series. And this book is one that I'm interested in because of the author. I've read other books by this author, really loved them. And so when I saw that she had a new book coming out, I was psyched. So this book is Rouge by Mona Awad. Mona Awad has written Bunny and All's Well, which are the two books of hers that I've read. Absolutely loved Bunny. It is weird in all of the right ways. It is dark. It is an interesting critique of fine arts programs, the Master of Fine Arts in Writing, but it is such a good book. And so seeing that Mona Awad had another one coming out, I was super excited. So this one appears to be a mashup of, I think, It was described as a mashup of Snow White and Eyes Wide Shut. When Belle's estranged mother, Noelle, dies mysteriously, Belle is drawn back into Southern California and the world of her mother's debts and questions about her death. And a strange woman in red appears to Belle at her mother's funeral and offers her tantalizing clues about her mother's death, including a video about a transformative spa experience. With the help of a pair of red shoes, Belle is drawn into the world of La Maison de Meduse, the cultish spa to which her mother was devoted, and finds out more about the secret between her and her mother's obsession with mirrors. I'm a big fan of fairy tale deconstructions. I'm a big fan of black humor. I think that from what I've seen of Mona Awad's work, this is going to be really interesting. And it's apparently also looking at the cult-like nature of the beauty industry, which is not something that I know much about, but is something that I'm really interested to see Mona Awad take to and skewer. I think that her writing is really interesting. And yeah, I'm just really excited to see what she does next. So let's go to Corrine next. All right. Well, I'm back on my nonsense. Is this a slight like deviation? Can I tie it back with two degrees of separation to BTS? Yes, I can. All right. So this book is kind of a bit of a cheat because it was actually first published in 1988. But kind of like Virginia's author that uh, she was talking about is has never actually been translated into English before, which is very interesting because I think that this author is is quite well known. And this was one of their big kind of like breakthrough novels in Japan. So this is going to be translated by Asa Yoneda. And it is, again, her 1988 book. It is called The Premonition. And the author is, of course, Banana Yoshimoto. So she's probably most famous for, I would say, Kitchen, which is the book recommended by BTS's Namjoon, which is lovely. And she really kind of examines... I would say like found family and society in such a a wonderful, interesting, unexpected way. Kitchen made me feel things, made me just feel so many things. I cried. Of course I did cry at all the books. And so this one, however, is based on a terrifying premise for me. 
in that a 19-year-old or 19-year-old protagonist is haunted by the sense that she has forgotten something, something really important from her childhood. And this is just essentially my life. But she is kind of growing in, up in this seemingly loving middle-class family where everything is normal and everything is where it should be. But again, she is kind of haunted by that feeling that she is just grasping up the edges of something that was so important and so integral to her, but she can't quite get it. And this feeling just kind of intensifies day after day after day, haunting her every waking hour. And so to kind of deal with this overwhelming sense of of loss and and forgetting, she decides to kind of take a, a radical step and move in with her aunt Yukino. Yukino is kind of the black sheep of the family, um, and she lives, according to our protagonist, a very odd lifestyle. She lives alone in an old single-family house and spends most of her time asleep. She walks around in her pajamas, she eats when she wants to, she falls asleep in the hallways, and watches Friday the 13th to comfort herself. Sometimes at two o'clock in the morning, she'll wake up our protagonist and they'll become drinking buddies. Our protagonist cannot understand Yukino's life, but she knows that she should be there. In addition to her odd habits, Yukino's house is also strange. In her backyard, there are odd stuffed animals abandoned. There is a child's study desk standing. Again, our protagonist looks at this and just knows that they have forgotten something important. So this book, uh, The Premonition by Banana Yoshimoto, translated by Asa Yunedo, is going to be coming out on October 10th, big week. I'm very, very excited for uh, another chance to kind of delve into Banana Yoshimoto's writing. It's always exciting to see another author in translation and also interesting to go kind of into the back catalog of an author who has such a such a wealth of information and kind of see see where they started from and go from there. So yeah, that is my number three pick. And I am going to swing it over to Sadie. So for my number three pick, this is my more atmospheric title for the fall. I always like to at least dream about reading. can't say I actually read them. Dream about reading books that take place in the fall and maybe involve a school because fall will forever involve back to school for me. And maybe there's some crunchy leaves or some ghosts or some other fall themed items. So this is Library of Shadows, which I realize I have read another book by this title. It's by Rachel Moore, and it is a young adult paranormal mystery romance, all of the things that I love. So this uh, takes place at Radcliffe Prep School. And Radcliffe Prep School is known throughout the country as the third most haunted school. Now, students just kind of tend to disappear. And it kind of normal. Not great, but kind of normal. Everybody knows that you don't stay in the library after dark and you just kind of have to be careful because you never quite know what's going to happen. You never quite know who or what you're going to run into. 
Now, uh, our protagonist of our story is Esta Logano, and Esta enrolls in Radcliffe Prep School because she's wanting to find out more about her dead father. Now, Esta is very clear that she does not believe in ghosts. She does not believe in the hauntings that are rumored to take place at the school. She, she kind of just thinks it's a little bit ridiculous. So she's not planning on going to the school to find her dead father. She's just wanting to go to the school and maybe figure out who he was because he attended this school as well. So she just wants to learn a little bit more about him. And then Esther meets Mateo. Now, Mateo is annoying. Mateo, she meets in the library and she can't quite figure him out. But unfortunately, she is almost certain that Mateo is a ghost. And this kind of throws off her whole belief system and uh, just kind of throws a wrench into her plans. Now, not only is Mateo very annoying, apparently in this world of Radcliffe Prep, um, the administrators of the school will believe the ghost, the word of a ghost over the word of a student. And so Mateo uh, frames Esta for the theft of a very rare book from the library. And then he disappears. And so Esta has to try and track him down and figure out exactly what's going on and why he framed her for this book being stolen, and what the book is, and where the book is. And she has to do this before she gets expelled from the school, which is exactly what happened to her father. And so this has all of the elements to be a very atmospheric mystery where Esta tries to figure out exactly what's going on. Where did this book go? She has to worry for her life. She might be one of the next students who disappears if she's not careful. And it's just, it, it is set to be kind of this spooky, tame, tamely spooky ghost story um, with a with a hint of romance, a hint of mystery, which is exactly what I look for. Um, and it just makes me think of like cold fall nights where it's pouring rain outside and the wind is really loud and you're just curled up with a cup of tea and a book. And in my case, probably a screaming toddler somewhere in the picture. But if you can drown all that out and just focus on the book, then maybe, maybe you have a very lovely fall evening set out for you. Um, so yeah, so that is Library of Shadows by Rachel Moore, and it is set to come out September 5th. So very, very soon, just uh, not next week. Oh my gosh, where is my time? Shortly after next week, it will be, it will be out. I just want to introduce Sadie because you said something of like, oh, you know, at this school where people disappear every once in a while. No, no, that that's not what happens at school. Why don't they transfer? No, even in like a haunted school? No, why, why are you going to the haunted school? There are many others. Why? What's so bad about public school? Hear me out. Experience for the, the I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? The art. For the arts again. It's for the art. It's for the art. It's always for the art. The word you're looking for is trauma, Sadie. The word you're looking for is trauma. Prestige. That's the word I was actually looking for. For the prestige. If you don't get expelled or if you don't get killed, you really got your life set out for you. Should be their slogan. But one of those options is death. But but apparently at this school, then you can just come back and haunt the school. So maybe you still have your life set out for you. You're stuck in high school forever. Yeah, that doesn't seem great. All right, Virginia, does your book talk about being stuck in high school forever? Nope. Nope. But it does have ghosts. Usually does. 
You know, sometimes we talk about reading books because of characters. Sometimes we talk about reading books because of the plot. You want to find out what happened. And sometimes you just keep reading a book because the writing is so darn good. And that is what happened when I read this book. This is Organ Meets by Kaming Chang. Also got a stunning cover, I think. This is uh, an offer of uh, Beast Theory, one of the novel, and also God of Wands, which is a short story collection that won the Lambda Award a couple years ago. And this is her new book coming out in October. And like I said, every sentence is so beautiful that I don't, I mean, I, I kind of, I read half of the book already. I, I don't know if I can actually explain what the book is because I was so distracted by the really, really good writing. <laughs> And it's just so many feelings, so many images coming from the writing that I have to try to keep track of the plot. But this is also a book that feels like I'm in a very long, dark fever dream, which is the kind of book that I love. So this is a story of two girls, Anita and Rain. They are best friends. They are inseparable. And while their mothers go work in the factory, they go and usually hang out at the empty lot with all the stray dogs. And they will say to each other, let's pretend to be dogs. And they will order each other to act like dogs. Anita is desperate to bind Rain to her. She wants to keep Rain to herself forever and ever. And Anita ties a red string around Rain's neck and say, now... No matter where you go, I will always find you. Rain is not so sure of this red string around her neck. She is a little concerned about it, probably because of the stories that her mom has told her about the power of a red string. So she picked at it and she picked at it and looks like it's frailing. It looks like the string is going to break. But somehow, every day she wakes up, the string, the thread is still hanging on. But one day, the dogs told Anita that rain is going to be leaving soon. And now Anita has to find a way, find a way to keep rain to herself. Find a way to, in her weird way, scar rain enough so that she will never forget her and that no matter where Rain goes, Anita will always know where to find her. This is a story that blends so much myths and legends and old stories into this story that involves talking stray dogs, that involves old sycamore trees, that involve stories about dog-headed women and woman-headed dogs, part of their ancestry, perhaps, that involve banana ghosts. And of course, that involve all the stories about a red string, how they tie people together, how they prevent people from getting lost, how they prevent people from getting separated from one another, and how the red string is powerful enough even to bring people back from a different world or from the afterlife. As the blurb described, this is a story of a female friendship, of female relationship, of loyalty, and the horror and beauty 
of intimacy, which I think really, really describe this book. And again, just read it for the writing. It is so, so, so good. I have to check out her other books now, um, now that I know how good she is as a writer. So I have like three books, you know, I've kind of read, almost finished this one, but you know, I have like another two books on my list to look forward to. So again, this is uh, coming out on October 23rd from One World, and it is called Organ Meats, and it is by Kay Ming Chang. All right. So those are our first three picks, books that we are looking forward to reading. And I think in the next episode, we'll share with you the rest of our most anticipated books. So looking forward to hearing from my book friends what books they are looking forward to. So uh, we will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm-hmm.